Hey, everybody. This is a very special episode of Scaring and Sharing. Oh, my God. It's episode 100, Jeremy. Uh, 100. 100. The 100 episode special. The 100 episode special. Uh, and you are Jeremy, the original Sasquatch Slim Rusk. And you are Brandy Joe, the flame and scream queen planback. You got it. And, I, you know, I'm just so glad to be here with you for 100 episodes, Jeremy. That is insane. I can't believe it. I can't believe it either, but here we are, and I am so fucking excited for today, I cannot even express it to you. Yeah, we got a special treat We for do. everybody. And I mean, we have been like, this has been in the works for some time, and I truly just kept thinking it wasn't going to happen, but alas, it has. We are here today with a very special guest. Jeremy, tell me who it is. That guest is Joshua John Miller. And I mean, people know that because I clicked on the episode, but still, I'm so fucking excited. So welcome, Joshua. And why don't you tell um, the people a little bit about who you are? Well, first of all, the, I'm I'm flattered or intentionally or unintentionally to be part of your uh, 100th anniversary uh, podcast. Why not? <laughs> That's pretty awesome that you guys have been doing this for 100 episodes. What about me? Uh, what can I tell you? Um, I'm kind of, um, I guess they would say, uh, horror royalty. Yeah, I would say so. I would say I was born into it. My father was the priest and the exorcist. My mother was the final girl in Faster Puss, Get Kill, Kill. My brother was the lead in La Lost Boys. I was in Near Dark. Catherine Bigel is Near Dark. My writing partner and I um, write genre movies, including one uh beloved film that we is beloved to us the final girls um we just made another horror movie together called the georgetown project um with russell crowe so i guess i've earned my my seat at the table of horror queens and horror fanatics and the reason i am so insanely excited that you're here is because the final girls is my all-time favorite film ever oh. not even just horror but all movies i'm wearing my camp bloodbath to no Cruel Summer t-shirt. <laughs> That's so cool. I'm literally taking a picture of it right now while you're on there. Can you please show me your breasts? Okay, there you go. <laughs> yes. That's it's amazing. Wow. It's an awesome shirt. And seriously, like the best movie ever. And I know we're going to get to talking about that later because that is like the, I mean, asking you to be on here, I was like, there's no possible way this will happen. And here we are. And it is seriously like dream come true. So yeah, here we are. <laughs> so first, I think let's talk a little bit about like your relationship with horror. So we have just like some some questions to sort of gauge what you like about horror and all that sort of stuff. Jeremy, kick us off. But you did a wonderful job in that intro there of the uh, horror royalty uh explanation uh but we like to you know we like to get a little more uh personal with uh people we have on the show about their connections to horror and their tastes so uh our big one is what is your horror aesthetic like what do you like in horror uh are there specific subgenres or things like that like what really grabs you about a horror movie or story <laughs> i mean my interest in horror is probably has to do with a childhood trauma that happened when I was like eight years old and it was very visceral and 
in addition, there was the Night Stalker at that time as well. Mm. I secretly hoped would try to kill me and I could kill or survive or anyway, in the summer of mid eighties, I believe it was, it just, there was a, there was a pall over the city of Los Angeles and it just felt every corner, every doorway, every shadow was ominous. And this sort of serial killer presence just pervaded me like on a molecular level. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that would be Richard Ramirez, correct? The uh, the Night Stalker. And you just felt like something really dark and evil was afoot. And I think that was on the heels of this childhood trauma. So like the combination of it sort of created the sense that the world was a really dangerous, scary place. Where I also felt obligated to protect my mother, which is very much like the DNA, obviously, of the final girl. So I think, you know, whatever we write, whatever we create, I think usually it stems from some sort of endemic and or epigenetic place, not to get too, you know, uh, too in the weeds, but I think ultimately uh, a lot of that was established from there. So, I I mean, in terms of like to answer your question more specifically in terms of an aesthetic, uh, I'm interested in deconstructing genres and mixing unlikely flavors, you know, the final girls is we used to pitch it as it's terms of endearment meets Friday the 13th. <laughs> and um, most people in Hollywood like slam the door on our face until they read the script or saw the movie. But, you know, this idea of taking a family drama and putting it into a slasher movie, you know, it's not, it was atypical at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, I think I've been greatly inf- influenced by certain filmmakers, including um, Quentin Tarantino. Mm. Um who does take unlikely genres or reinvents them and deconstructs them. But, but I would say specifically part of that deconstruction, and this is getting into graduate thesis. So hold on. (laughs) And I think, you know, Brandy, maybe you can relate, but I think is queerifying them. And I think that that is taking sort of a homogenized genre that's predominantly, you know, what appears to be heterosexual and then sort of deconstructing it in a way that feels queer and and part of that is just sort of being transgressive and i think part of being transgressive is being trans and that's sort of like merging borders that don't normally uh, merge mm-hmm. so that that is what i'm interested in mostly as a, as a filmmaker myself in terms of a viewer um i mean i don't watch a lot of horror right now you know i made a horror movie right up the, during the pandemic which is still waiting to be finished. We're just waiting to get back to reshoots because we didn't finish it because of, you know, global pandemic. But that was all the horror I needed making that movie <laughs> for a while. So yeah. I tend to shy away from horror movies right now. Are there some horror movies that you really love that maybe other people don't love as much or that you think should get more love than they do? Horror movies that I think deserve more love. i think certain movies out of hollywood are unintentional horror movies because they're just fucking insane to watch Mm -hmm. uh how bad they are how horrifying the direction is in terms of like a real specific horror movie that i love i think i think a lot about peeping tom Mm. you know um Mm -hmm. i love the sort of meta aspect of it and it's it's beautifully made I, i i do tend to as much as i love the sort of b-movie lo-fi you know 70s horror i do love the kind of elevated art art artistic horror i guess you could say or arty horror whether it be giallo whether it be you know those movies whether it be i think ty west is, is that his name ty west, mm-hmm. ty west? pearl and x yep 
I, for what I was really into early, like the early aughts of the, the French sort of like frontiers and movies like that. I thought were kind of interesting and martyrs, martyrs, frontiers inside, which is mm-hmm. inside wow. is excellent. So good. One of the most grotesque. I had to leave during one of the main scenes of that movie. I had to mm-hmm. walk out of the room. I'm really interested in what um, the director of, I forgot her name, Raw. Um, oh, yes. Loved yeah. Raw. Jeremy With, wasn't as crazy about it, but I love it. He loves it. <laughs> and Titan okay. as well, which I haven't seen yet. Yeah. I started watching Titan and I was alone in a house and I even though it's not meant to be that terrifying in a way, because it's so cerebral in some ways, I had to turn it off because it unnerved me so much. Mm. That's awesome. Signed. Um, I like movies like Funny Games. Now, while I can't sit through Funny Games more than once or twice, I appreciate it for its stark horror. Stark horror is something also I love, like Michelle Haneke, um, some of Kubrick, Stuff like that, where it's almost there's no blood on screen, and it's just a sort of display of human evil, like whether it be a hundred days of Salo, Pasolini, mm-hmm. things like that. Look, I mean, I'm naming a lot of fancy European horror. I tend to be a little bit snobby about my horror. That doesn't mean I haven't seen every slasher in the world and don't love it. Yeah, absolutely. It's that kind of speaks to my aesthetic too. I feel like I go high and then I can go low. Um, and you brought up Haneke too with Funny Games, which I feel like that's a director we've not gotten into much on our show, but would definitely yeah. speak to a lot of the things we're into. The Seventh Continent, Haneke's first movie, is a film that it's not, I feel like it's a horror movie, just the content and the way it unfolds, but like uh, it's not truly, you know, in the genre of horror, but that's a movie that horribly unnerved me the first time I saw it. And I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Uh, the seventh. But what you did make me think about when you said that one, since we're talking about Haneke, is, you know, I recently saw Gus Van Sant's Elephant on the big screen. And oh. while, while that, I mean, to me, that's psychological horror. Yeah. Um, it would never be in the genre, of course. So I, but I, I don't care. I, I don't, I'm not into categories, whatever. It was just, I mean, the whole entire time I was sitting there. I was nauseous and scared and, and mm-hmm. I had it on the big screen and I, I felt really uncomfortable in my body and really scared. And, and this was on the heels of obviously the massive school shooting that had happened here recently. Sorry, not, not where I am right now in Paris, but in Los Angeles. And I just felt the way Gus had framed those shots, the wide empty spaces and the way bodies are moving through them. And there's, anything could happen in the frame. I think Kubrick did a lot of that as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. You you get scared in the emptiness of the frame and, and all that negative space becomes uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, like that. Speaking of slasher movies, uh, and of course seeing every slasher and loving them, um, do you have a favorite final girl? Well, my favorite final girl was always going to be my mom because she was in Faster Prison. Yeah, even though that's not a horror, she was a final girl in that movie. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, okay, that's first. Obviously, kind of Thaisa and Malin in the final girls. I mean, I have to honor that. They're all mm-hmm. final girls, right? And then right behind that would be, man, such a good question. And I feel really like, I, I, I love and hate the question. Because, you know, there's like so many. Let, yep. Let's come back to it. Okay. And it can change, you know, obviously. We're, we're a show. Shelly Duvall. Shelley Duvall. 
Oh yeah. Yes. 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 No one ever says that. No yep. one ever talks about her as a final girl. She's a final girl. Yeah, she absolutely yeah. is a final girl. It's a brilliant performance. And an amazing performance. And again, speaking of Kubrick, in an amazingly constructed, like just the the images of that movie are enough to be terrifying to me. Like they live in my brain forever, of course. Exactly. So my favorite question probably ever is, have you seen a ghost or had a paranormal experience at some point? Yeah, but I'm not going to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> I think it's a very private, um, I'm not offended by the question. I just think it's, I think it's a very private, for me, a private experience. All right, cool. Well, I think you're our first guest who has said yes at any rate. So that's exciting. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. That's interesting. All right. Well, I'm a yeah. bit of a, what can I say? So uh, of, I, I had seen you on another podcast not that long ago. I was uh, 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 watching a video and you were talking about Near Dark. Mm. Um, and in there, you had mentioned how uh, you find that um, people who mentioned near dark as a favorite movie tend to be interesting or unusual people. Um, oh. So it's fun to talk about, or like, you know, uh, more alternative people, I suppose. And th that's why I, I wanted to lead in with that because I was like near dark for me and your character, especially in that, sorry to fanboy out a little bit, but um, it was such a like formative movie and formative. I, I saw it for the first time as a teenager uh, and it just really hit me in a way where I was discovering like punk rock music uh, and sort of uh, stepping into a more alternative scene at the time. And there was just something about it that's always stuck with me uh, and always struck me. So I just kind of wanted to get that out of the way. Not really a question there, but <laughs> I kind of wanted to get that out of the way. It's such a tremendous thing. Well, I, I appreciate that. I don't think it ever gets old. I don't think anybody who works as hard as people do in the business are ever bored of having people appreciate work that you do. It's very rare that you get things made and it's very rare that you make something that is good. And it's even more rare that it lasts forever. So I'm honored to be part of anything that's in the quote unquote pantheon of any kind of genre. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I would think too there, that would be one for me uh, when people ask about what's an underappreciated movie you think. And I say near dark, because I mean, it is appreciated, but I do feel like it doesn't, it sort of fluctuates in and out of the, you know, the mainstream as to how much people pay attention to it. And yeah, it sort of feels like it lives a very culty life these days, but yeah, yeah. Tre tremendous that. And uh, of course, River's Edge would mm -hmm. be another one that I feel like between Homer and then uh, in River's Edge there, there was just something um, I'll always remember your performances. That's what I'm getting at. Again, sorry to be so. I'm not worthy fanboy about this, but uh, th those really struck a chord with me. And I feel like they were really speaking to a sort of uh, alienated uh, sort of youth culture there. The performances or the movies? Or, sorry, I was trying to follow. So, so, oh, sorry. Getting a little jumbled. Sort of both, really. I mean, both of them. Because with Near Dark just has such a... I know the idea is the vampire Western, but it has such a punk rock vibe to it uh, yeah. in the way uh, everything's done. And I had started discovering, like like I said, punk and Nine Inch Nails, and it seemed to just plug like right into there where I'm like, okay, this, I feel strange. I'm into weird things. I don't fit in, you know, I'm not playing, not on the football team, all the stereotypical stuff where it sort of spoke to me where like uh, you could find a band of misfits. And again, with River's Edge, that has a, a similar sort of, um, I don't know if intentional or by design, but I felt like it had a similar vibe there. Well, it's interesting. I feel like, thank you. I, I, I mean, that's highest praise I could want. I mean, I, I think the, 
the idea sometimes i think oh i was like 13 years old in some really cool punk bands you know <laughs> yeah like, so you know um which is awesome i i think that the alienated youth and all that which you're picking up i mean yeah i i think that it, it, those filmmakers like Catherine and Tim and other people I worked with at that time and the actors and the writers, I mean, they were all really working outside the system that allowed them to really mine stories that felt undeveloped in the best way possible, in the most pure way possible, unvarnished, you know, not like what we see now about most teen movies or most mm -hmm. teen are just so polished and developed and you know these people were working outside the system and mm -hmm. there wasn't even an independent film system at the at that time it was just sort of the the blossoming of one yeah and, uh there was a kind of fearlessness about it and 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 i've talked to gus van sant about this a bunch um about how he was able to be so brazen about his work and brazen about being openly gay and all this stuff. And he said to me recently, he's a, you know, one of my best friends. And he said, I had nothing to lose. Mm. I thought, lucky you, you know what I mean? There was like lucky him that he had that sort of approach, you know, in my own personal queer identity and politics of transitioning from being a young actor to writing and other things. I felt I did have things to lose. So that became a problem as I moved into my sexuality and moved into growing up and voice changes and certain gay sort of uh i don't know what you would say <laughs> gestures i don't know but things that would sort of belie the fact that i was not like the other guys right so um it was a little more complicated you know and i i in a way i'm envious that gus got to be behind the camera but and and have that sort of sec somewhat security you know not having to be a performer mm -hmm lot harder but at the same token he was really bold because you know we're talking Malinoche, his first movie was i think late 80s and he was making a queer uh interracial you know you know relationship queer romance and that's was you know kind of really transgressive at the time so where am i going with this i just think that that ability to really tell those kind of stories only were able to be told because no one was watching and so many young actors are all about being cute. And while you were a very cute little kid, you still like your your characters and your performances were so complicated and layered. And it's just it's it's amazing to watch those two films in particular. I just think, wow, like when you watch you, you're like you're so young, yet you're bringing so much. And like Jeremy sort of talked about, like that little bit of the outsider, like that isn't like all the, the other little kids you're seeing in movies. And I mean, in Homer, you're not really a little kid, but like you technically as an actor, as a performer, you were. So just the, the elements you bring to them are just so impressive. And even like now, I mean, however many years later, here we are. And to look back on them 30 years later or whatever, it's just, it's, it's mind boggling and, and very, very cool. Oh, thank you. Um, I think like, once again, I think that, I think the culture was a lot different then. And I think that while there was a certain sheen put on to young actors on, on network television shows and all this sort of, you know, and nothing against those actors. A lot of them are friends of mine, but they were, they would agree that it was a very manufactured kind of life and approach. And I think I was lucky that I never was cast in any of those 
that I was too weird, I guess, to be, I always wanted to be like on, well, I was on family ties, but I wanted to stay on family ties, but apparently I was too difficult to work with. So they didn't keep my character on <laughs> or I didn't like difficult in the sense of like, I didn't hit my marks exactly right all the time. And I was like, why do I have to do it the same every time? You know, that's more like a cinematic like approach to acting. Yeah, as opposed to, yeah, television where it's much but, more. Um, like when it's three cameras, it's all very, you know, structured. So um, I never really fit into those molds uh, once again. And um, I kind of, as, as you were saying, I kind of belonged with the outsiders. As much as I wanted to like be making millions of dollars a year so I could like buy my mom a house. Not that she needed me to buy a house, but, you know, like do things and 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 stuff like that. I I wanted... I wanted that. And it's funny, like what you want, you probably don't need because, you know, it's, it's, it's so much cooler the path I took, but it was, it didn't feel that way at the time. I feel like that's just uh, a learning that lesson over and over throughout life, of course, where it's what you want is not necessarily what you need. And sometimes the path you're on is much cooler, but not necessarily at the time you're not looking at it that way. So you get dumped. It's a good thing. Be happy. You realize it in time. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. But you also were like, you have some really great performances where you are exactly the opposite of those films, like your Highway to Heaven. I watched like a first half of your song for Jason episode, and you're just this cute little kid with cancer. And in Halloween 3, you're also a total adorable you little know, kid, yep. typical little kid. And you were the skeleton. You were the first skeleton we saw. And I don't know Halloween if I feel 3. like I'm a typical kid in that. I look at myself in Halloween 3 and I'm like, that kid is a little homosexual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a good flick, though. Yeah. I, I love Halloween 3. I, I, I mean, with no bias. I think it's such... Talk about like... Well, that movie is having a huge resurgence, but that movie is rad. It is so yeah. creepy. The score is so good. Mm. It's fucking i don't know what i mean i'm sure blumhouse or someone's going to do something with it but like it is such a good film yeah yeah thank you for answering a question i wanted to ask since you were in halloween 3 i wanted to see how you felt about halloween 3 with it especially now because everyone's like oh now it's a uh, uh, it, uh it, it's a masterpiece you know it, to some I really, extent i, I kind of think it is a masterpiece yeah yeah definitely where i i think brandy joe is also a fan but i'm definitely, definitely. in the halloween 3 camp of uh i remember the first time i saw it i was a little bit like like everyone else you're like what was that and then it felt like it just kind of upon reviewings, it just got better and better. And now I'm like, it's, I, I feel like it's up there with the original Halloween for me. I agree. Um, I agree. Our episode's all about Jeremy and I sharing a movie with the other person that they haven't seen. That's like our typical format. And near dark was one of the ones that Jeremy gave me. Cause I had oh. never seen it before tragically. Yeah. And I fucking loved it. It's so, so good. I'm sorry. I'm listening, but there's a, I just realized there's a giant bear behind you. <laughs> <laughs> In a and tube. Too. I, and- I'm flattered and I love that you love near dark, but I, sorry. <laughs> with, what is it? Children, animals, and giant bears. <laughs> yeah. On zoom. Let me see those bears. In a tutu, no less. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, and not that this can top that, but you were also in Teen Witch, which speaks a little bit more to my aesthetic from back in the day. And you played Richie, you were a totally bratty little brother. And I, I have, I'm curious how that experience was for you, but like more importantly, I know you didn't share any scenes with her, but did you meet Zelda Rubenstein at all during that? It's so weird. I feel like I did, but I can't, I can't be for sure. I, 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 yes, I'm sure I did. I, I, I must have, because 
Poltergeist is one of my favorite movies. Mm. Mm. Really what starts out as a family comedy Mm -hmm. drama that turns into a whole different movie. I mean, if you watch, I don't know if you've seen the movie lately, but it really takes its time building the relationships. Hale, praise Jo Beth Williams. She's Mm -hmm. so fucking good. I mean, she's just a goddess. I was obsessed with Jo Beth Williams my whole childhood. Um, My mom was amazing, but like Jo Beth Williams was like, you know, the the idea, perfect mom, right? She'll save you from the the, the dark side. But um, I haven't saw a movie where she like goes to Paris and falls in love with this really handsome uh, French dude. Mm. And I can't remember it. It's like American Dreamer or something. And okay. I, I kind of wanted to be her or him. That was like a questioning moment. Who knows? Mm. American Dreamer. Okay, just check it out. I think that's what it's okay. called. Okay. Joe Williams leaves America and goes to France. And anyway. Very cool. And I was going to say too, with Poltergeist, it is like, it's, it's that, you know, there's the debate who directed it, blah, blah, blah. But it does feel like the perfect marriage of Steven Spielberg's aesthetic with a Toby Hooper film. Cause that's sort of what it does. Oh, is it's, yeah. It's like half and half, right? Yeah. It starts as like your typical Spielbergian setup that yeah. morphs into the full on Toby. Cause Toby and horror man, like he just mm. he got it and it, goes off into this nightmare world that Toby Hooper was so good at putting together. Is Leatherface non-binary? That's a good question. I have seen arguments for it. Mm. Um, non-binary or, uh, you know, th- th- there's a lot of, a lot of interesting directions, especially if you watch all of those sequels too, they go in different, <laughs> very different directions each time. So. Oh my God. I love the one with Dennis Hopper. So amazing. Part two. That's oh. that's another movie for me where I know a lot of people, much like Halloween 3, it seemed like a lot of people back in the day were like, this was a crap movie. What were they doing with it? But uh, I think it's it's amazing. Jeremy, there's one more movie we want to ask about. <laughs> I'm pretty confident you actually weren't in this movie. I'm uh, not. It's always asked. I'm not in it. The Willies? The Willies! <laughs> I, what is The Willies? It's it horrible. Yeah, it, it's a... Um, <laughs> Uh, Sean Astin's actually in it. He's like the biggest name as a, a very young Sean Astin. But it was a, I think it was straight to video. It's like a kid's anthology horror. where It's like a telling, kid's creep show. Yeah, they're telling like campfire yeah, stories. But you are on IMDb for some reason. Somebody got it on there that it's you. Yeah. So, and I was like, wait, I, I remember this movie from a kid and I don't, my childhood, and I don't remember you being in it. And I, uh, we re- we both revisited it recently, and we're like, he is not in there. So why is the internet saying he's in this movie? I don't know. So weird. Very weird. So I really want to talk about the final girls, obviously. But like before we do, can you tell us? You sort of like touched on him earlier, but can you tell us a little bit about who M. A. Fortin is and your relationship with him? M. A. Fortin is my life partner for the past nineteen years, and also we are writing partners as well. My husband and I have been together 19 years as well. Yeah. It's a long time. It's a, a chunk of a chunk of space. Sure. <laughs> In the best way. When did the collaboration start of you working on things together? Like in over 19 years, did it start in the beginning? Did it start later on? Like how did that collaboration begin? I think you I, I was writing, I think I'd read a short story in McSweeney's that was a, a genre piece. And but that borderline between drama genre and I said we had been together for a couple of years. We had just moved out to LA, believe it or not, to write the sequel to Teen Witch because I needed a job. <laughs> Amazing. And 
I said to him, do you want to adapt this? But if the experience is bad, then let's agree not to work together because our relationship is, you know, paramount. And uh, we worked together and it was really good. And we wanted to direct, I wanted to direct the movie from a script that we co-wrote, that I co-wrote with him. And the movie never got made, but it opened up a lot of doors. It was a bit of a skeleton key uh, to get us into the rooms. I watched Dawn a couple mm-hmm. of days ago which you co-wrote together as well, right? And Rose McGowan directed it. That is a very disturbing little film. It reminded me of a short film called Bug Crush by Carter Smith. Have you ever seen that? I mean, who hasn't? Oh my God. They both feed into my darkest fear, which is thinking you're with these people who sort of have your back and like you're in like the cool crowd. And then it all turns, like I just got goosebumps just like talking about it. But when I watched Dawn, I got that same pit my stomach dread that like permeates like experiences that I've, I've had in life and that that I, I hope I never have again. It, it was very, very effective. Well, Rose is a really good director and Mark. Mark had a lot to do with that, I, I feel, because it was one of those things where he sort of took the lead on it when I mean, we co-wrote it, but it was definitely something he germinated. And I'm really proud of it, though. Yeah, yeah and it's Rose, great. Rose really did a beautiful job. Yeah, and you can find it online if you search for it. It's not on YouTube, but there is another website, and I can't remember what it's called right now, but you can watch the whole thing online. So please, dear listeners, go and check it out. It's fantastic. Okay, so the final girls. This, as I've already mentioned, is like my all-time favorite film. I recommend it to everyone because talk about a movie that people don't talk about enough. It is this film, and so many times when I find out someone's into scary movies, it's one of my first questions. Have you seen the final girls? If they haven't, I'm like, you got to go watch it. You can, you know, it's been on Hulu. It's been on Netflix. I don't think it's on either right now, but you can rent it on Amazon prime for like three 99. So go do it. But this film is so beautiful. And I always tell people, if you've never heard of it, go watch it without watching the trailer, because I think that's how I experienced it for the first time. And there's just so many surprises that you would never think that's where the movie's going to go. And then it goes there. And yeah. I love that about it. But what I truly, truly love and why it really speaks to me is it does has that perfect marriage between commentary on the genre. I think it's scary. And then, like you've talked about, that sort of terms of endearment vibe. Like, I've seen it over 50 times, and it still chokes me up every time. Their performances are so beautiful. The relationships are so well written and, and acted. And there's just like multiple moments that just like get into my emotional core. And I think that that is such an achievement in a film, especially a horror film. And I just love that it sort of defines, or rather it can cross over so many different genres. Like if someone is like, mm, I like scary movies, but I don't like to be too scared. It's like, well, hey, guess mm-hmm. what? I have a movie for you. Someone's like, oh my God, I love every slasher. I've seen it and they haven't seen it. Hey, I have a movie for you. It's the answer to so many questions. So how did it come about? I know you've sort of touched on it a little bit with like your relationship with your parents, um, but can you talk a little bit more about the evolution of the yeah, final girls. the genesis clearly there's yeah. a reverence for especially friday the 13th i see there like it just so deconstructs uh that film series especially so i did wonder how much those that played huge, into it it's a huge influence because mark's a huge friday fan i am as well he's more well he's more so he's a little bit more has an encyclopedic knowledge of it than i do um you should probably interview him to really get the that side of it i i think for me it was more the how does one sort of my way in with mark was 
why, how is this movie going to be a story that I can relate to um, and bring something to? And, and, and obviously that relationship was deeply personal and, and deeply mirrored my own relationships with my parents who were, you know, on the big screen in horror movies. So that was just sort of a given. And that was just a conversation that Mark and I had. We just knew it was really special from the beginning. Um, we attempted to pitch it as a movie. No one would pay us to write it, so we decided to do it on spec. Um, and then New Line uh, bought the movie. No other studio would pick it up. Uh, New Line bought it right away in script form with Todd Strauschel's and Attached, who Mark went to college with, and we were all a group of friends. And then that development process, as most development processes are with studios, was a bit... Um, you know, uh, this is a time when girls leading genre pictures, believe it or not, was looked down upon. And we were just in this uphill battle to convince them that there was an audience for this movie. They were convinced that the audience that goes to horror would not get behind this. So, and also they had trouble with, you know, many, after we took it out of New Line because they wouldn't make it, they we tried to find other like we talked to blumhouse and blumhouse was very at that point afraid of anything that was mixing tone mm. they're, they're like straight slasher blood gore, boom next you know now that they have freaky and other things now they're more open to it but it you know and obviously get out but it that's not where they were when we made final girls and nor were the women that we wanted to play the lead financeable and of course like some of the women like we got the best actors but like one of the actresses um, there were several actresses we wanted to bring the script to, you know, and who now are superstars and they were not, you know, they weren't going to be anybody yet, you know? And, um, so it was a bit of a, uh, it was a bit of a really, um, Sisyphean journey trying to get it. <laughs> and, uh, finally Sony ponied up, which was a blessing and a curse because, um, their stipulation was that the hard R that we wrote uh, had to be turned into a PG-13 film. Mm -hmm. Concerned that people were not going to go see an R-rated movie. And that, to me, is one of the parts I struggle most with the movie. I wish it was more gory. But they would not allow us to shoot any blood really on screen. And mm. had to, uh, what were the sharper edges of the movie? Um, and I think... Randy, to your point about why the movie's not discussed, I think the reason why it didn't get a huge platform release is because people loved it, but it just wasn't scary enough to get people in the theaters. Um, and had it really been maybe had a bigger uh, rollout and more PNA and all that stuff, maybe people would have come. Um, but it just didn't get any love that way, you know, by the studio. They, they didn't know what to do with it, honestly. Mm -hmm. They loved it, but they didn't know what to do with it. And at that time, the market was um, strangely cold to female-led horror. You know, Carrie had bombed a couple of years before, but that's mm -hmm. for reasons. And they kept, you know, that was a Sony movie, and they kept, like, citing that. And I was like, the two are not the same. You guys are not forward-thinking. <sighs> And while all the performances are really fantastic, and uh, you know, you mentioned Taisa and Malin Ackerman as Max and Amanda slash Nancy, um, the performance that I absolutely love that you know I wish this person worked more, and I have not seen anything else she's in is Angela Trimber as Tina. 
what a standout performance she is hilarious and i love that it's tina nancy so there's like nods to nightmare on elm street as well which i really really dig but her performance is amazing angela is a comic genius and she does a lot of great work uh, she does a lot of performance art she does a lot of stand-up she writes a lot of stuff she's out there just in a much more underground kind of way yeah she's she brought everything to it it was one of her first movies and she's fearless so if you haven't seen the film, it's about a mother and daughter, and after a tragic event, um, the daughter finds herself watching her mother's old horror movie, and through um, some very special circumstances, um, she becomes very close to that film, I should say. <laughs> I'm trying not to give anything away, Joshua, because I think it's so fun if you can watch it without knowing all of its secrets. Absolutely. And I have a quote to read. So I read this little book here, The Mao Game, which you wrote. And there's a quote in it that I want to read, or there's a little passage, because I think it speaks to this film. It is from towards the end of the novel, so um, and it's sort of quasi-autobiographical, correct? Uh, no. Everybody seems to think it's like, I mean, yes, there's elements that are autobiographical, but it's predominantly fiction. Yeah. Okay. But I love this little passage. It's um, towards the end, so maybe slightly, slightly spoilery. But it says, I want to go to a movie, I say. If a movie is playing, I'm inside the film. And grandma isn't dead, I say. And when I read that, I was like, holy shit. That's the final girls right there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow, that's a really great... Wow, way to, way to connect the dots. I, yeah, wow. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit, I'm a bit like, wow, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is sort of like sometimes the things we make, we don't even realize how much like, oh, the same thing is repeating through things I say or do, so. I do, I think we all have certain obsessions, you know, I certainly have my core obsessions and they just find themselves wherever, you know, wherever I land usually, or they lead me to someplace. Because you touched on the gore and the R-rated aspect, like where, what are some moments in the film uh, that would have been more gory had it been made the way you wrote it and wanted it to be? I mean, for example, let's talk about the opening scene where everyone's on fire, you know? And I mean, I, I would love to have really just seen like just utter like faces melting and turning. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. Candle wax, you know? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. kind of, like, like those scenes of the dead, like candle wax bodies and... It was going back to Texas, Chainsaw again, but like where people just look hollowed out, like they've just literally, their skin is melting like wax. I think mm -hmm. that would be really cool. Um, I think heads falling, like certain objects falling from the burning, you know, ceiling, things that have just been horrifying beyond recognition. I wanted that opening to just be guttural hell, you know. Were there specific people in the movie that you wanted and you got? And were there other like people that you wanted that you didn't get? Or is that an awkward question to ask? <laughs> I think you know the answer to that. <laughs> um, I think everybody in the film is really wonderful. And I think that, it all, you know, these, these things are always kind of a puzzle. And you eventually, exactly what you need usually comes together. And I think with that particular movie, everything came together exactly the way it should. You know, it, it, it doesn't look like what you think it's going to look like, but yet it's beautiful. And um, it's like, I think it's that way with most movies. I don't think any director like gets everybody they want or it's the mm. perfect thing. But then you realize, oh, shit, this is exactly what it needs. And then sometimes you don't. Anyway, yeah. Now, there's been like, you know, 
I think you've talked about it on some things and also like, you know, the people who are um, big fans of this movie, like myself, of course, would love a sequel. And I'm also okay that there's not a sequel. Like I'm on both sides of it. Like I want more, but I'm also it's since I think a perfect film, I'm fine with it as it is. Mm -hmm. But have there been like, is that discussion a, a thing that is final? Here's how it is. Or do you think that there is still like a possibility for more? Um, I think there's a possibility for more. I'll leave it at that. Okay. I love that. That was essentially the biggest question I had too. Was there, is there serious consideration of a sequel, but that punchline of the end of the movie is just so perfect. It's, we were developing it as a series at Hulu this year. And, Mm. um, so, you know, but that's not going to happen right now, but there's conversations. That's all I can say. I'm not hiding anything. It just, there's yeah. conversations, but who knows where they'll lead. Absolutely. And that's all, I think that's all that needs to be said, people. There's conversations. <laughs> but yeah, it's a really, really fantastic film. And so if you haven't checked it out, please, please go watch it. And then report back. Let us know how much you loved it as well, because that is, when anytime I recommend it to someone and they watch it, they're like, holy shit, that movie was awesome. Which Absolutely. Scaring is sharing at gmail.com. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> Well, okay. I think we're wrapping up to like the end of our time here. So you touched on the Georgetown project earlier. I'm very intrigued by this based on, you know, the the description of it. And you're back with Adrian Pazdar, who is also in this, who is a near dark. So that's kind of exciting. Like, uh, how was that reconnection with each other? Oh, that was beautiful. He's such a mensch. Um, I asked him to do a role in the movie and, you know, he didn't even flinch. And that was kind of like, you know, obviously intentional homage to my horror, my horror roots. Um, he's, he's such a trooper and such a good friend. And that was, that was great. That was a great experience. I, there's, I can't, I, because the movie is still in the process of being complete. I think I'm not at liberty to talk very much about it. You can go ahead and ask questions. I just don't, you know, I'll, I may have to like duck and, you know, <laughs> some questions just because I don't want to get into, into any trouble with the studio. Sure. Um, but it, I mean, it's, it's a great cast. Russell Crowe is the lead. It's um, Ryan Simpkins uh, plays his daughter, plays his daughter. Um, and Chloe Bailey is the other lead in it. Um, of Chloe and Hallie, if you know them, the music group, pretty uh-huh. rad. And David Hyde Pierce. Oh, uh, it's 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 uh, I think that's all I'm allowed to say. OK, Russell Crowe has made uh, what an interesting turn into like genre uh, filmmaking he's done in recent years where uh, the flick uh, I had seen the flick unhinged from just a couple years back where it was like and he was very he was perfect for that role in that movie. So I'm like, Russell Crowe's made a it's cool to see that turn from, you know, marquee leading man action like star and. Uh, all this heavy drama into this more genre filmmaking where like he can be legitimately scary. So he likes horror. He likes horror and that genre stuff. Um, He's particular about what he does these days. And he seems to be gravitating towards that for some reason. Yeah. My other question, it sounds like it sort of centers around a horror movie being made in it. And you sort of talked about this earlier. Like I was going to ask, is it a horror movie? And you sort of talked about how like you don't, like to necessarily classify something as this or that. So I think maybe I'll wait to see, but I was wondering if you would classify it as such. I think it's a, I think it's a, a blend. Like I said before, those are the blends are what kind of interests me. And 
it's interesting to defy expectations a little bit with what you expect from a horror film. I mean, sometimes I'm told there's a horror film and people go to it and nothing scary really happens for maybe to the last minute. I love that. Um, this kind of hum that's underneath the movie the whole time, like a, like a, like a soundtrack, like a low bass. I find that interesting psychologically speaking and just you're, you're cause you're waiting for something to happen and it never maybe does. And that's kind of cool. I, I, not the only horror film I like, but I do appreciate those kind of uh, approaches. Uh, this is a lot more uh, complex tonally than that, uh, but it was it was really a thrill to be a part of and to you know just watch a great star like Russell Crowe um, work and and be in his presence because he's such a giant, you know. And it was really exciting to work with the young women who. There's a lot of African-American women that are in this movie that were given like major roles. And that was something that I thought was really, I was really happy the studio allowed Mark and I to like bring those like sort of that representation into the movie because it's just nice to be part of a project where there's a lot of representation in unexpected ways and that we got supported by the studio and that, you know, somebody like Kevin Williamson believed in it and produced it and i think that it's you know it was a pleasure and a nightmare like any movie to make you know it's you're you're putting so much on the line and there's so much at stake and people are all so vulnerable and raw and it brings out the worst in you and the best in you you know and i think in certain ways that's what we're trying to make a movie about in some ways dramatically mm-hmm. um We'll see. You know, we're the, the the movie's still in process. So, well, awesome. Well, I cannot wait to see it. I'm very much looking forward to it. <laughs> Absolutely. And how can people find you if they want to to follow you, see your adventures, see your cool pictures from Paris? <laughs> how can they find you? Uh, my name on Instagram. I guess. Well, <laughs> yeah. Don't come find me. <laughs> <laughs> that would be scary. Because remember, I have. The Richard Ramirez terrors and Night Stalker. <laughs> um, just go. I mean, go to Instagram, I guess, or just or just watch my work. You know, that's a way to know me. Absolutely. Or the new work. I have a new book coming out, and I have a new movie. So you know, just stuff like that. Awesome. And you never talked about our TV show, which is interesting. Which oh my God, I think no, Queen of the South. We were short on time. <laughs> because I go that genre. I mean, that's like female centric genre. You know, just saying. Yeah. And it's on Netflix, yeah. all five seasons. Yeah, all of it's on Netflix. So, um, I'm, you know, I got to take care of all my babies. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no, not a problem. Absolutely. I, plug, 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 plug. Plug, plug all the way. I've seen a handful of episodes, and oh my God, the lead gal is dynamite. She oh, is, is amazing. So good. And also been in a lot of great genre movies. Okay. Yeah, I I need to check all the rest of it out, but I I am glad that that it's all on Netflix. And um, I heard that the fifth season, like it didn't end on like, oh, we didn't get another season. I I heard it had a nice wrap up to it. Did you feel satisfied? Yeah, I mean, no shows last for more than two years, three years now. This went on for five. It was time to fini. Mm -hmm. I didn't stay with it till the end because there's nothing for me to do. But I, you know, it's... uh, I just, yeah, I love Elise, and yes, it is exactly the way it needed to go. Although I do think that there's a, a prequel idea I have, but that's a whole other conversation. So, mm-hmm. very cool. Well, Joshua, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely, 
great I, it was I'm, great pleasure hundredth anniversary so then you'll uh you'll remember this one uh, oh yes could never forget okay you you always <laughs> remember your 100th <laughs> your first and your 100th <laughs> your 100th <laughs> whatever that is blank yeah. fill in the blank fill in the blank whatever yeah. it is yeah that is you guys are i love your passion for horror and it was a really interesting talk and really great questions and and i, I you know the enthusiasm is really i mean that's just always really great to experience it's like i know you're like apologizing for being a fanboy but without fanboys which because i feel, sort of feel like fanboys is a derogatory term a little bit yeah yeah i, I do feel yeah. a little bit yeah and i think I don't like that term sort of for you, for myself or you or anybody. And I, I, um, I mean, I mean, I think it, that kind of enthusiasm is the whole reason that it, all of us are doing what we do. And that's the whole point, right. Is to, um, to have that kind of impact in people's lives that people want to talk about it. Like what more could there be? And maybe there's jaded people or over that or something, but that's, that's just not me anyway. All right. I'll let you guys go. Be well. Thanks for including me. And there you have it. Episode 100. Yes. Oh, my God. Joshua, John Miller, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for being here. And Jeremy, thank you. You are the best podcast host a flaming scream queen could ask for. And I am grateful every day to have you in my life and this show as well. Uh, the feeling is mutual. Oh my uh, God. I, I can't wait to keep this thing going. It's just been so much fun and it keeps being fun. So as long as, you know, we're, we're going to keep doing this till the wheels fall off. So that's right. And everyone out there, please write to us. Um, tell us whatever you want. Anything about horror, about Joshua John Miller, about life, about ghosts. We want the stories. Scaringasharing at gmail.com or hit us up on Insta, scaringasharing, all one word. And follow Joshua John Miller. It's his name. All one word put together, just like our podcast title for us. Okay? Till next time. Yeah, everybody. Just remember, they're not going to be singing Kumbaya. They'll be screaming, Kumba, no. <laughs> <laughs> keep watching the skies and keep watching and talking about scary movies because scaring is sharing bye scaring is sharing scaring is sharing This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast.